the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. 262 CP, Bayonet Point, WTBN, Pinellas Park. Portions of this hour have been pre-recorded for broadcast at this time. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. In fact, as far back as the days of Noah, Scripture reveals to us that the earth was corrupt and filled with violence. Man is a violent creature. And although God destroyed that generation with the flood, succeeding generations just continue to be violent and cruel. And that's really been the pattern of man's entire history, just one conflict after another. In the book of Jeremiah, we find this condemnation from God upon the false prophets in the land of Judah. They have healed the brokenness of my people superficially, saying, Peace, peace, but there is no peace. You know, peace has long been a stated goal of mankind. Governments declare it a priority, while religions and social groups offer to bring it to pass. Yet if history has taught us anything, it is that genuine peace is not possible apart from God's powerful intervention. Only God can bring peace to our hearts and lives, and only He will bring real, lasting peace to the world. Hello and welcome to another broadcast of Verse by Verse. We're glad that you've joined us today. As always, here on the program, our teacher is Steve Kreloff, the pastor of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Pastor Steve has been doing a series on the Beatitudes, found in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. Today we will continue that series by beginning to examine the seventh beatitude, Blessed are the Peacemakers. The prophecy concerning Jesus states that he will be called the Prince of Peace. It is no wonder then that the people of his kingdom should be known as peacemakers. Still, there are a lot of questions that spring up in our minds concerning peace and peacemakers. To help us make sense of it all, let's hear what Pastor Steve has to say. Let's open our Bibles to Matthew chapter 5 as we continue our study in the Sermon on the Mount. And we've come to verse 9, and here's what Jesus said. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. These words constitute the seventh beatitude spoken by Jesus in this Sermon on the Mount. There's only one more to go, so we are nearing the end. But it shouldn't surprise us to learn that that this beatitude above all others is actually a favorite amongst those who know very little about the Bible. And the reason for this is because this beatitude deals with the subject of peace. And everybody wants peace and everybody talks about peace. Who but the most militant of individuals would be opposed to a message about peace? And if you notice, this beatitude says that the peacemakers shall be called sons of God. And who but the most bitter opponents of Christianity, the most diehard atheists, would be against being numbered as sons of God? So you can see, just from a casual and very surface glance, this seventh beatitude appears to be the least controversial, the least 
radical of any of the Beatitudes. Far from turning off unbelievers because of its spiritual overtones, this Beatitude actually appeals to secular-minded pacifists. They like this because the, the, the concept of peace has such a strong emotional appeal. And the reason for the strong attraction, the strong interest in peace, is because peace is exactly what has evaded man's grasp for so many years. In fact, his entire history. It has been estimated in the past 4,000 years of recorded history, less than 300 of those years have been without a major war. Now, I realize it's easy to get lost in statistics, but that's a staggering figure. 4,000 years of recorded history, only about 300 of those years has been without a major war. In fact, as far back as the days of Noah, Scripture reveals to us that the earth was corrupt and filled with violence. Man is a violent creature. And although God destroyed that generation with the flood, succeeding generations just continue to be violent and cruel. And that's really been the pattern of man's entire history, just one conflict after another. Back in the 1960s, a major newspaper did some research and discovered that from the time just prior to Christ's coming until about 1968, there have been 14,553 known wars. That's a large number. Those are just known wars. That's not little skirmishes, just known wars. That's, that's absolutely an astounding statistic. And it's hard sometimes to put that in perspective, but Bible teacher John Blanchard tried to put this figure into some perspective by stating the following. He wrote, during the period from 1480 to 1941, Great Britain was involved in 78 major wars, France in 16, Spain in 64, Russia in 61, Austria in 52, Germany in 23, and the United States in 13, China in 11, and Japan in 9. The 20th century, he writes, was hailed by many as the beginning of the millennium of peace and prosperity. But this claim proved to be nothing more than empty idealism. In World War I, which took place between the years 1914 through 1918, believed by some to be the war to end all wars, 30 million people were killed. To help avoid a repetition of this catastrophe, the League of Nations was was formed and founded in 1920 with the maintenance of international peace as its primary aim. By 1928, he writes, some 58 nations had signed its covenants of membership, yet 11 years later, almost all of them were embroiled in World War II, which eventually cost over 90 million lives. Puritan preacher, he writes, John Trapp was surely not exaggerating when he wrote, war is the slaughterhouse of mankind and the hell of this present world. Now, those are just the international wars. But what about personal wars? Because wars take place at various levels. What about personal conflicts, marital, family discord, individual quarrels, violent crimes, personality clashes, terrorism that goes on? No wonder the Apostle Paul, in declaring that all men are sinners, described us this way in Romans 3.17. He said, their feet are swift to shed blood, destruction and misery are in their paths, and the path of peace they have not known. That's Romans 3.17 and verses leading up to it. Yet, Jesus said in this beatitude that there are some people on this planet, citizens of his kingdom, who instead of being troublemakers, they're peacemakers. They're peacemakers. Now, what was he referring to? In light of man's natural inclination towards war and fighting, 
How are citizens of his kingdom able to be peacemakers? Well, that's what we're going to find out this morning as we dig into this one verse and we want to unpack the meaning of this beatitude by asking and answering three key questions. The first question is this, and it's basic. What is peace? What is peace? You may assume that you know what peace is, but we want to deal with this because the common definition is not what peace is. Secondly, what is a peacemaker? And if I say the word pacemaker, you don't have to come up to me afterwards and tell me. It's okay. Number three, third question is, why are peacemakers called sons of God? Why shall they be called sons of God? So let's dig in by by looking at this first question and answering it biblically. And the first question is, what is peace? See, before you can be a peacemaker, you first have to understand what the Bible means by the very concept of peace. Now, I believe most people assume, they assume that they know what peace is, but I'm not convinced that's the case. And the reason I say that is because the most common definition of peace is a termination of war. In other words, it's commonly assumed that peace is achieved when a war is stopped, when there is a cessation of hostile activities. But that is not what the Bible means by peace at all. That's not what it means by peace at all. Peace is not the absence of war. That's called a truce. It's not peace. It's a truce. It's just a temporary agreement by enemies to to put down their guns. In fact, someone has defined the truce as that moment in history when everybody stops to reload. That's more accurate. It's not peace. But that's essentially the best kind of peace that man can can achieve and come up with by himself, his own efforts. It's just a temporary ceasefire. That's all. A temporary ceasefire. But he hasn't really achieved peace, at least not in the biblical sense. Why? Because when Scripture refers to peace, it's always talking about resolving a conflict, resolving a conflict by bringing about reconciliation between enemies. In other words, true peace is achieved when those who were once enemies have now become friends. That's why the Bible, in in reference to our peace with God, uses the word reconciliation. Reconciliation is just a big word to, to mean. Essentially, it means that there's been a change that's taken place. Someone who was once an enemy is now your friend. You who were once an enemy is now somebody else's friend. That's reconciliation. Paul spoke about this in Romans 5.10. He said, for while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Much more, having been reconciled, we should be saved by his life. Paul is simply saying that we who were once hostile towards him have been changed. And, And he who was once angry with us has now been reconciled to us as well. We've been changed. 2 Corinthians 5, 18 and 19 highlight this. And we're, we're going to return to this later, but let me read it to you. Paul said in verse 18 of 2 Corinthians 5, Now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. So he says that God has reconciled uh, us to himself in the sense that we've been brought into a right relationship with him. We're no longer fighting him. We're no longer hostile. We've been transformed from those who, who once hated him to those who now love him, those who now submit to him. 
See, the biblical concept of peace is not just a negative. It's not just you stop strife. It, there's a positive. You, yes, you put an end to hostility, but the positive aspect is you replace that hostility with love and harmony. Let me, let me illustrate it this way. When a married couple who've been, who have been arguing and fighting, when they decide to, that they've grown weary of their conflicts and they just agree, they agree to stop arguing, they really haven't solved anything. They really haven't resolved anything. They've just decided to cease fighting. That's all. And if they haven't resolved anything, they really have not achieved peace. According to the Bible, they don't have peace. You know what they have? They now have a cold war. They now have a cold war. And the only thing that has changed is is that instead of outbursts now, it's just more of a cold war that will probably fester and grow. And eventually, because they never resolved anything, it will break out again at some point into open hostility. Now, that just illustrates what we're talking about. You can only achieve peace when you have resolved a conflict, when the enemies have become friends. And that's critical for a peacemaker to know because you can't promote peace unless you first know what peace is. And then watch this. We can't help others attain true peace unless we know what prevents peace. What is it that hinders peace? What is it that gets in our way of peace? Why has it been so evasive, not only on an international level, but on a very personal, human level? What is it? Well, the Bible sums it up in one word. It's not complicated. It's not difficult. It's called sin. Sin is always the cause and the only cause of a lack of peace. Disagreements are are not, not necessarily a war, but fighting over them, that is. And, and we fight because we're sinners. When Adam and Eve rebelled against God in the, in the Garden of Eden, they and all their future descendants, that's us, became God's enemies. And in essence, it was our declaration of independence. We said, we'll not have you reign over us. We declared war on, on God. And the Bible says from that point on, with a fallen sinful nature, we became hostile towards God. Now, this is important to understand because of of a grasp of human depravity. You will never fully grasp the gospel unless you understand how depraved you are in your fallenness. And I want you to see this, Romans chapter 8. This is such important truth and theology that I say, without this, you really can't understand man's nature. Man is hostile towards God until he comes to faith in Christ. But notice what Paul says about this, Romans 8, verse 5. He's going to make a contrast between unbelievers of the flesh, he calls them, and believers of the spirit. But it's just a contrast between the unsaved and the saved. He says in verse 5, For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who are according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. So he's talking about the mind. Unsaved are interested in the things of the flesh. That's where their minds are at. The saved are interested in the things of the spirit. Now, certainly not in a perfect way, not saying that, but that's the general characterization. Verse six, for the mindset on the flesh is death, but the mindset on the spirit is life and peace. Now notice this, verse seven, because the mindset on the flesh, and he's talking about the unsaved is what? Hostile towards God, hostile. For it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. Now that's an amazing statement. 
That's Paul's declaration of man's sinfulness. And this is so important to understand. I I have often heard people say things like, well, I've always loved God. According to Paul, you have not always loved God. Everyone born into this world as a son or daughter of Adam and Eve was born into this world hostile towards God. Now, you may have thought that you love God because you have you may have followed a God of your own creating in your mind. And you may have had the warm, fuzzy feelings about that, that God. But the God of Scripture, the God of truth, the one true God, the Bible says that you were at enmity with him. You were hostile towards him. And the proof of that is just as Paul said, that you did not subject yourself to the law of God, not even able to do it. You were incapable of it. You didn't want to do it, and you didn't do it. This hostility is so deep and so ingrained in us that as the 18th century theologian Jonathan Edwards once put it, unconverted man would kill God if they could get at him. And let me add to it, we did do that, called the death of Jesus Christ. The the very reason why Jesus died, the very cause of why he was murdered is because man hates God. Man hates God. That's why Jesus died. Let me show you this, the hatred of God. Very important you understand this. John chapter 15, which next week we'll look at more in a more in-depth way, but I'm going to read to you what Jesus wrote or Jesus said to his disciples in explaining why they were going to be persecuted. He spoke about man's hatred of God and of himself because he is God. Verse 18 says, since the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. So right off the bat, he says, the world hates me. The world hates me. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this, the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. So he's, he's going back. He said, remember during this, these three years, I, I said this to you. A slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they'll also persecute you. If they kept my word, they'll keep yours also. In other words, they're going to treat you the way they treated me. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they don't know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoke to them, spoken to them, they would not have sinned. He doesn't mean they'd be sinless. He means that they would not have this particular sin of rejecting me. But now they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father also. And who is it? It's the world, the world of unbelievers. If I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would, have, they would not have sin, meaning, once again, that particular sin. But now they have both seen and hated me and my father as well. But they have done this to fulfill the word that is written in their law. He goes back to the Old Testament, and, and this is a fulfilled prophecy. They hated me without a cause. Yes, they hated Christ, but for what reason? Nothing in him that was wrong. Now, I just wanted you to see how often Jesus mentions that the world of unbelievers, meaning every unsaved person, hates God, hates Christ, hates the Father, and the world does hate Christ. It's at war with him. Understand that. It's it's not just that the media is antagonistic towards Christianity. Every unsaved person is. Maybe they don't have the public spotlight that the media does, but, but the proof of this ongoing war is that people constantly defy his authority, his word, by, by a self-determination to do whatever they want to do. That's the proof of it. 
doesn't matter that they talk about where you can have a display of the Ten Commandments. The issue is, does anybody care about observing the Ten Commandments? But sin doesn't only prevent man from being at peace with God. That's, that's primary. The Bible also teaches that sin, watch this, is the source of war with other people. We're not only at war with God, we're at war with other people. And James speaks about this. In James chapter 4, James gives a very blunt statement. In fact, the entire letter that James wrote is blunt. He just must have been one of those guys who said it like it is. And he says in chapter 4, verse 1, what's the source of, of quarrels and conflicts amongst you? He just gets right to the point. He says, is not the source of your pleasures that wage war in your members? You lust and do not have, so you commit murder. You're envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. Now, I want you to notice the word pleasures. It may be translated in your, in your Bible as uh, desires or even lust. It's a very interesting word. It's a translation of the Greek word hedonon. And hedonon is from which we get our English term hedonism. A hedonist is uh, someone who believes that self-satisfaction Self-gratification, pleasure-seeking is the all-important thing in, in life. They, they live to gratify themselves. That's a hedonist. Well, that comes from this word. And what James is telling us is that the cause of all human conflicts, whether it's between nations or, or fellow workers or church people or families or in marriages, regardless of where it is, the cause of it is because we are greedy, lustful, self-centered creatures who insist on getting our own way. And we are so driven to get our own way that if anybody gets in our way, we will fight them. And if necessary, we will resort to murdering them. That's what James is teaching. In other words, it's this deep-rooted determination to gratify our self-centered desires that just brings us into perpetual conflicts with not only God, but with other people. That's what James is saying. That's the bottom line. Now, note this well. Every conflict, every battle, every hostility that you have ever experienced or will ever experience is related to sin. To sin. Man's sinful nature. And unless that sin can be subdued and brought into submission to Jesus so that sin no longer reigns supreme in your heart, there will never be true and lasting peace. There might be a truce but war will break out again. And that's why the the Bible says that we are all predisposed to doing those things associated with hostility. Remember last week, we spoke about the the, uh, diagnosis that that Jesus gave of the human heart. Out of the human heart, he said, come such things as thefts and, and murders, slanders, deceitful things. All those things cause trouble. And the apostle Paul when he describes the the deeds that stem from the flesh in Galatians 5, he says, amongst other sins, there are attitudes and activities in our flesh, in our human fallenness, that breed arguments and conflicts. He spoke of enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions. See, the Bible characterizes all unsaved, no matter what culture they've come from, as completely void of any peace because they are by nature prone to be at odds with one another. That's our nature, sinful nature. Isaiah 57, verses 20 and 21 say this, The wicked are like the tossing sea, for it cannot be quiet, and its waters toss up refuse and mud. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. 
The wicked, he says, have no peace. It's as natural for them to have turmoil that comes from within as it is for the sea to toss up refuse and and mud, mud from within. Unsaved man has no peace. Maybe a truce here and there, but no peace. So this is man's condition. He's a fighting hedonist at odds with God, at odds with his fellow human being. He goes from one battle to another. He doesn't know how to attain peace because he doesn't know how to resolve conflicts. He might smooth over some things. He may not be verbally having a conflict. He may not be violent. There may just be a cold war, but he's got unresolved issues. And that's where we come in. Jesus said that the citizens of his kingdom are peacemakers in a world that does not know peace. So the question is, how do we, how do we bring about peace? In what way are we peacemakers? It certainly makes sense that the violence we see around us is a direct result of the sin that we see inside of us. Our world is filled with violence because it is filled with sinners. But God's people are to be different. Tune in next time to hear how that is possible. Before our time is gone in this broadcast, we want to remind you that we have a website where each of these broadcasts is available for you to download and listen at any time. You can also order CD copies of the entire sermon that is featured in these broadcasts, allowing you to hear the complete message together. They are a great way to share with others the insightful teaching you hear daily on this program. To order the CD, just give us a call at 727 239-0306. In our next broadcast, Pastor Steve will... Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.